So welcome to Innovate Social, where we inspire leaders to pursue social change. My name is Johanna Dihuanco, Global Shaper, Manila Hubs, passionate advocate of inclusive progress, and your host for today. Founded by the World Economic Forum, the Global Shapers community has over 8,000 members in 160 countries, where people under the age of 30 work together to address local, regional, and global issues. Parents play a significant role in a child's development. The environment a child is raised in can potentially shape what they value and what they believe in, in which can in turn can lead in the way how they think, how they communicate, how they interact with others. And so parents who hold unconscious bias and may treat children differently could potentially affect how a child makes certain decisions pertaining to their studies, career paths, or possibly in finding themselves in society and how they can contribute. So today, we hope to find out how parents deal with unconscious bias, noting that it could potentially impact a child's development and growth. In what ways can this be alleviated? How can parenting be done in a way that promotes children to be more inclusive and empowering? Our guest for this month is the co-founder of Tiny Labs, an educational content development company based in the Philippines. Prior to this, she was identified as one of the 40 under 40 leaders in international development by DevX for co-founding Jeepney Ed Inc., a nonprofit that delivered hands-on science to rural public schools. A graduate of Fordham University in New York City, Erica majored in psychology and completed the international service learning program in microfinance. She continued her medical studies and became a board certified physician in 2017 and started training to be a hair transplant surgeon soon thereafter. She is also the current curator of Global Shapers Manila Hub. Welcome, Dr. Erica Pineda. Thanks, Joanna. Thanks for that um, very informative um, introduction. Thanks so much for joining us today. So yeah, um, thanks for having me. Here at Innovate Social, we're always curious to hear about the stories of our guests. And so the first question for today is what got you into the education space and how did that lead you to co-founding Tiny Labs? Um, so I've always been really passionate about education. Um, I think it started really early on. My parents always said that education is the one thing that no one can take away from you. I don't know if you were, you were told the same thing by your parents. Um, but um, yeah, I remember that. That was like a core memory of mine. And I grew up, my formative years were spent in the US um, and my parents sent me to all of the best private schools despite um, it being very difficult for them to make ends meet. Um, so yeah, education's always been important to me and when we moved back to the Philippines, I think when I was seven or eight years old, um, the difference in how people or how children are taught was very um, evident to me because I, I was learning about um, science by through baking or, or making experiments or doing experiments in the United States and then moving back to the Philippines I was learning science by memorizing scientists' names and their birthdays. Um, so that that stark contrast was very, I remember just not 
loving school as much as I did um, when I moved to a traditional um, Philippine school. Um, and fast forward to 2010, um, I was in my senior year of college and my best friend who was an education major in at Mount Holyoke in Massachusetts um, asked that I help her out with a business plan competition um, coming out of Wharton. And we submitted this like crazy business plan about creating this mobile science lab on a jeepney that with the main goal of making science fun again um, for rural public schools. Um, so that's how Jeep Need was started. And then later on, um, when I became a mother and my other co-founder became a mother, um, we decided to rebrand Jeep Need as Tiny Labs. And now we're doing um, early childhood education. Oh, um, wow. So that's the really long story. <laughs> Nice. And so with your numerous accolades and achievements, you know, I mean, you've done a considerable number of things. And so we're just wondering in your journey thus far, was there any particular challenge that you've experienced where you felt that this is where I was able to learn the most or, or maybe grow the most as a person? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of experience of experiences that I've had. Um, but one thing that keeps on coming back to me. It's a lesson that, that just, I've never really learned. I keep on relearning, um, is just to try things. So um, when Jeep need, when parts of Jeep need weren't working, I think we, we were so like stuck on it and mm -hmm. we didn't want to make any changes and but then when we finally do get to make the change Mama. and that's my daughter <laughs> when we finally do get to make the change um there's so much goodness that comes out of it so i think the lesson there is just to keep on trying you know and and to adapt um before the lockdown tiny labs was doing a lot of educational content for bigger publishing companies. Um, and obviously when the lockdown happened, we lost all of our clients. Um, so we kind of had to pivot and we, I mean, now we're doing online learning for kids 12 months, sorry, 24 months to six years old. So that, that was another like, just try it out and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, just try something else out. <laughs> I see. Yeah, the other thing and being able to adapt is super important as well. And thanks so much for sharing. And I mean, as an expert with dealing with children and as a parent yourself, right? So I'm sure you understand how a child is raised from the environment that they live in can potentially either limit or expand their worldview. And so this kind of like same case for everyone, for even you and me. And so in your own experience growing up, were there any biases you believe to be prevalent? And how did it shape you to be the person that you are today? Um, there were definitely a lot of biases growing up. Um, I mean, living in the US, of course, my formative years, 
um, there was a racial bias. So mm -hmm. I was the only brown kid in a sea of white children um, in the suburbs of California. <laughs> um, there's, I mean, I've come up against gender bias when I was, you know, looking for funding for my NGO early on. So what was I saying? Oh, so yeah, starting looking for funding for, for the NGO um, and being the only woman in the room and being a young woman too was another bias. And I think a bias that I had growing up um, was the self-inflicted poverty bias. Um, I remember moving back to the Philippines and I was in the car coming home, coming home from the airport and it was the first time I saw a, um, a little boy begging for alms. And I asked my parents if we could take him home because he looked malnourished and he didn't have any shoes on. Um, and my tito turned to me and said, He's, his parents are making him beg because they don't want to work. And this was like so bewildering to me. <laughs> um, and it was, it was constantly sort of taught to me in school, in church. Um, and of course, I, I mean, this is probably because in the Philippines, it's, it's social class, you know, that, that's important. Um, but yeah, I just remember having that bias all the way up to high school. And then I, I read, I came across liberation theology. And that's when I, this bias was like, you know, we took it apart, my friends and I, and we were like, wow, we just took that, you know, because of what our elders were telling us. And we believed it for a very long time. And poverty is definitely not self-inflicted. Nobody wants to be poor. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's, that's a bias that I had um, growing up. I, I mean, yeah. I agree. Like, th this reminds me of um, back when I was younger as well. And my parents would tell me, you know, it's, it's, it's the street yeah. children that you see out in the streets are, are there because they want to. And, but that's not the case, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... And, you know, as a parent now here in um, Philippines, what kind of prejudice are there to look out for aside from these? And is there more than just um, social class bias? Um, uh, what about uh, gender bias? What about uh, maybe even mental illnesses like autism and Down syndrome? How do we be more inclusive? How do we teach children to be more inclusive? Yeah, um, I think it's really important to just expose our children. Um, I, I think that the culture here is to just like stay within your own bubble. Um, and that's not good for anyone. Um, it's, it's the reason why we're intolerant, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I, when my daughter was still going to school before the lockdown, um, we made sure to put her in a school that had, um, different neurotypes. So, you know, kids with autism, 
Um, some kids had Down syndrome. Um, and then now since we're in lockdown, it's really just looking for like reading materials. There's a lot of great books um, showing kids from all over the world, like what they have for breakfast. Um, there's uh, books about MLK and um, Rosa Parks and, and all of these just different cultures that you can bring into your home and, and just read to your, your child before going to bed. And that will already like widen their perspective and their worldview. So I think that's really important. So it's mostly through um, what kind of schools we enroll them in and kind of like what we feed them in terms of like reading, right? Yeah, reading, podcasts, um, even uh, cartoons. Like my daughter loves the Nickelodeon cartoon Doc McStuffins because I think she's the only little black girl Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, on Nickelodeon's like roster of cartoons, and she 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 has dark skin. My my daughter, like me, um, so I think that's why she likes it so much because she <laughs> she identifies with her. Um, yeah, so just just finding more content like that is is important. Mm. Um. And so, like, to what extent do you, would you think um, is bias reproduced, uh, even in the workplace, in school, community, and society, right? Um, I mean, it's really, I think bias is created, like, within families, right? So um, we have all of these, like, biases and prejudices that we hand over to our kids. So it's absolutely reproduced everywhere. Um, and I think it's our job to identify those biases and, and say, you know, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, I think in the workplace, it's definitely more of gender bias. Uh, during this lockdown, I've had a lot of of my mom friends telling me that um, it's difficult for them to get any work done mm -hmm. because their husbands, their husband's work is prioritized. Um, and that's, I, I think, so for, for me and my husband, I realized like shortly, maybe three or four months after lockdown that I was doing it myself. Like I was perpetuating this, like this need to prioritize his work over mine by not asking for help. Like I could have easily added him to all of, to the Viber group of, of her, her online play group, you know, or added the Yaya, but I didn't because I was like, oh, that's my job, you know? And we're parents mother and father not just mother so right. you know i could have easily just done that um thankfully i've learned and i'm asking for help more um but yeah it's it's those little things that you don't really you don't realize you're you're doing and you're perpetuating and my you know she's seeing me doing all of the work around education for her when it shouldn't be that way um 
yeah, it should be both of us. And um, yeah, so I hope that answers the question. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and how do you kind of like split that workload, especially now during the pandemic times, right? How do you know how to, I guess to a certain extent, segment who, who takes care of what, or do you even have to segment in the first place, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's different for every family. Um, a lot of families just, you know, stick to the, the traditional roles. Um, but I am thankful to have a husband who wants to kind of challenge those roles. I mean, he is the better house manager, to be honest. Um, he pays the bills on time. <laughs> um, you know, he's, I, I'm better at like buying groceries, for example. Um, but when it comes to, to raising Addy, it's, we really want it to be uh, uh, something that we do together. Um, and so now it's really identifying like what things we enjoy doing with her. So I enjoy reading with her because I'm a bookworm. Um, Catch, my husband, enjoys listening to music with her and playing badminton. Um, so that, that's how we're, we're kind of div dividing the work or, or play. Right. We're, we're dividing the play. <laughs> <laughs> So in that sense, it kind of like um, depends on what you guys are interested in and in the same way, um, what are your strengths, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, kind of flavor. that's great. And, but then, so, you know, another challenge of parenting, right, aside from unconscious bias, is the ever-growing digital gap, especially now during the pandemic. You know, the technological yeah. innovation is only going to continue to grow and it's going to change faster than ever. And the world's only going to continue to be increasingly more competitive. And so... What role can parents play to support the development of their children and better prepare them for the future? How can we help bridge that gap? Um, yeah, I think the digital gap is growing every minute that we continue these lockdowns. Um, I think that parents are trying to do their best, like they're trying to get their kids connected, they're trying to purchase um, whatever technology they need for their kids to attend school. Um, I think that the government and private organizations should do more. Um, they should do more around getting tech and connectivity to people who need it the most. Um, because most of our countrymen can't do it themselves. They can't even get food on the table at this point. Um, so there definitely needs to be a lot more work done around that. Um, I also think that there's a lot of education that can happen over the television, which most Filipinos have access to, and the radio. Um, and of course, mobile phones. So I think there's this NGO that I, that I really love. Um, it's called Abotala and they create quality education modules and they just send it by a text on, oh. yeah. And it's, it's great. They have thousands of students um, and, and it's, it's creative solutions like that that are really simple, but they make a lot of impact. 
um, that we need to keep on supporting, I think. And, and speaking of impact right now, um, you know, this current uh, lockdown situation, um, how do you think um, people have been impacted and whether or not the access to education has been exacerbated or whether it's a minimal issue? Um, I think it's definitely been exacerbated. Um, you know, there's there are reports that there's a report that came out maybe two months ago about the literacy rates in the country plummeting. Mm. Um, and you know, you always hear about these stories of like fifth graders not knowing how to read still, but just because they're in the system, they just keep on, you know, um, uh, they, they get, get to the next level despite not having the skill um, for it. Um, and now with a digital divide and, you know, some people, some kids have to climb. I read the story a few months ago too of some kids having to climb over two mountains just to get internet connection. Um, so that is really troubling. Um, and I think, um, I mean, being a doctor, I've, I've read at length about <laughs> COVID-19. And in places like that, I do believe that they should be able to go to, to, go to school. They should, have, they should have access to quality education, especially if they're you know, off the grid, they should be able to go to school. Um, yeah. yeah. And, you know, there have been some talks on how, you know, technology could eventually be used in a way to get rid of hidden bias. So let's mm -hmm. look at it on the flip side. So we've been talking about the negatives, but let's see how, whether or not technology can actually um, help us, right? And so while it hasn't taken the place of nurturing, you know, or in this case, parenting just yet, um, what are your thoughts on this? Is it possible, impossible? And in what ways can we ensure that people remain at the forefront of child development, but do so in a way where hidden bias wouldn't be reproduced? Is that even possible in the first place, right? Um, I think that technology can definitely help us identify our hidden biases, um, but no one, nothing is going to take the place of parenting. Um, I think that we can definitely leverage technology. Maybe there will be an app that's like, that'll alert you when you're, you're reacting to something in a way <laughs> that shows your hidden bias. <laughs> I don't know if, if that's, that'll be possible, but, um, I think, yeah, I mean, we can use technology to train parents maybe, um, to to, to be aware of, of the biases that they hold. Um, but I don't think that technology is going to take the place of a parent ever. <laughs> I mean, there are, there have been some talks about like the, you know, robots doing the care work of the nanny work and even sometimes, but I, 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 I think right now at this point in time, I also don't see it working out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not yet, anyway, I'm hopefully never. 
but and and would you actually think though that technology exacerbates the bias or can actually help identify the bias which route would you kind of lean towards more um i think that it helps identify bias more when you're well so it depends right like if if you get all of your news on facebook you're going to get the same news that i mean whatever your algorithm has saved um so you know you're definitely going to remain in your in your within that echo chamber um but if you're proactive about like seeing what other people think and feel um then it will help you identify your biases or just see other people's perspectives mm -hmm. um but that might just be like a personality thing like <laughs> so you know like a, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> fair enough and so now let's kind of look at parenting from another perspective so sometimes mm -hmm. let's they kind of from the child's perspective right sometimes the youth themselves they want to change for the better and um the problem is that they're restricted by certain ideals or certain expectations of their parents and mm, so yes. what what can youths of today do so that they can be more empowered how can they break out of the biases that may have been passed on to them by their parents yeah um i think that the youth are doing a really good job of identifying those biases um i have two sisters that are in your generation your generation z right joanna yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm a millennial so um I am just like amazed at how how proactive they are about like really identifying all of these things um, that our parents passed on to them and that are aren't necessarily right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the youth are doing a really good job of identifying those things and changing trying to change their parents perspective um i mean my sisters have you know have tried to share experiences with my parents around the dining table you know um to try to challenge what they think is is the truth or or um the way they think um so yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's what the youth can do. They can just they can challenge what what has been what they've been taught, um, and offer up a new perspective. Um, hopefully, their parents are open enough to listen to them, um, and if they aren't, all they can do is really just not perpetuate that. Right. So they can decide to not um, hand that over to the next generation when they do have their own children. Right. So so would you say that, for example, if, if the parents aren't exactly the best role models right, for them, would they have to seek out another role model or would they need to gain some sort of trust or recognition with their parents and reach that level of um, confidentiality, I'm assuming, or like where they can actually be vulnerable? Like how? how would they need external help or is it seeking outside um, examples or 
Is it really trying to convince their parents? And but then in the worst case scenario, if that doesn't work out, what then? Right. Yeah. Um. I think that you know, some parents are kind of set in their ways, especially the older generation. Um. And if you can't find the support and help that you need with your own parents, it's okay to look outside. Um, I think that you can also just admit that your parent wasn't the parent that you needed. Um, and then look for mentors who will help you become the person you want to be. Um, I think it's, it's difficult to just wait on your parent to become the person that you need them to be. <laughs> um, it might not ever happen. Um, so I think that it's, it's better to just, to just find another way um, to reach whatever you know, goals you want for yourself or, or the life that you want for yourself. And, and on that topic of like seeking for external help, whether through looking for mentors, right? How do we kind of, how does youth do that? Because it's not very transparent um, in the Philippines. Like how, how can they, where do they go to look for these people who can uh, help them out? You know, even if it's just to learn about the things that they're interested in, or maybe to think about the career path that they're interested in. Where, where would the youth have to go to find these kind of people who are willing to mentor? Um. Honestly, I think it's really just reaching out to whomever you think um, or whomever you admire. Many people will will respond. I mean, of course, you know, the very busy people may not respond to you immediately. But when I think Filipinos are very good about helping others. <laughs> um, yeah, I my my co-founder and I um, when we are fresh graduates trying to set up this NGO, we would just send emails and be like, dear Mr. Bam Aquino, can we have some, some help like fleshing out our idea for this mobile science lab? And he replied and we got a, we got a meeting with him like a week after and Senator, former Senator Bam just went through our business plan with us and there was no exchange. We didn't like even have to gift him anything. He was just happy to help. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So there's, I mean, there's people out there who do want to help. They, they want to help guide the next generation. And I think that you just need to have the guts and a few minutes um, to write up an email and send it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you got an email. So what about now? So is it more LinkedIn or if they have to email emails better? Yeah, I mean LinkedIn, even Facebook. I mean, even I've connected Facebook. with yeah, I've connected with people on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, yeah, so literally anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And okay, so then, are there other factors that the youth of today and maybe parents of the future have to look out for aside from bias and the impact of technology in determining a child's growth in the future? Um. I think that one thing that we really need to to um, to teach the next generation is to find joy, um, to be more courageous, and to just have a more balanced life. 
Um, I think this lockdown has taught us that um, being really busy all the time um, and not having time for family um, takes its toll. Um, being home with family has taught us like how important it is to really just spend time and to be present. And not being able to go out has taught us to really look, look or find joy or make joy with what we have. Um, so I think that's, that's one thing that we should really sort of, we have to be um, really intentional about um, in teaching our children that we can't just like always be, you know, trying to achieve and succeed, but also to just find joy and to, um, to be happy with what we have. Yeah. yeah. All right, so we're nearing our final question for the day, um, sure. right? And so this is the last question, right? So despite the challenges of parenting, the um, unpredictability of the future, with your and with your work in the education space and hopefully with information sharing that we are trying to achieve what do you hope to see more of from the next generation of youths um i hope to see um i hope to see youth that are more engaged um in civil society i i hope that um, the youth play a more active role in government. Um, I want them to make more decisions. I want them to demand a seat at the table. Um, and yeah, I just want them to be the change that they, they want to see instead of waiting for the change to happen. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Erica, and to everyone listening. Um, today, we have learned about the challenges of parenting in a precarious world and what one should take note of um, in the existing prejudice or preconceived prejudice that they may have been passed on by their environment or by their parents. And so that someday we can have even fairer systems and institutions in place. And always to remember to find joy and hopefully that's a kind of um, lesson we teach one another and even the generations of the future to demand uh, having a voice and being able to be grateful for what we have. And so now if you're interested in staying updated with Dr. Erica and Tiny Labs, feel free to follow them at Make Tiny Labs. That's at Make Tiny Labs, all small, no space, no dots or no underscores. We also do have a survey where you can choose what topic we should focus on next. Do check it out on our Facebook page or our Instagram bio on Global Shapers Manila. And don't forget to like, comment and subscribe wherever you're tuning in. Thank you so much and stay safe.